Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name is Brent. In this episode, we're talking about SST 73, the SWA album, Sex Doctor. You know, I got to tell you, Brent, I haven't been that big of a fan of SWA so far, but um, I might just surprise you on this episode. Yeah. I might just surprise you. Oh. You know what I wanted to ask you about, though, is like, why wasn't this album on the Seven Inch Wonders of the World? I wonder. <laughs> Ryan, it wasn't out yet, man. Come on. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Thanks for correcting me on that. Yeah. Hey, do you have any spiels? Yeah, I have a few. Um, I want to talk about our blog for a minute. So, you know, I feel really bad because a lot of people gave us their time, you know, either participating in interviews that ended up on that blog or people like Michael T. Fournier or uh, Jeff Schreck who wrote some stuff for it. And it's all fucked up because I had to go and change all the backdrop and uh, apparently I have to know how to do code to uh, to fix it all. <laughs> so I'm working on it. It's just I have very limited time. So it's going to take some time to get it back up. A few people have asked about it. It will be back up eventually. I'm not just going to let all that stuff just die on the vine. I want it. I want to have it up there for posterity, but patience, please. Yeah, man. And I'm waiting for your, your next assignment for me, my blog, whatever oh, that yeah. one's going to be. Yeah. So you, uh, give me an assignment and it'll, uh, it'll, it'll keep you on track, hopefully to get that sucker back up. Oh, well, careful what you wish for. Uh Oh yeah. I got a good one brewing. Okay. <laughs> Quick, quickly move on to the next yeah. spiel. Okay. Um, I've probably mentioned this before, but I have had a subscription to this classic rock magazine almost from day one. I just think it's the best magazine on the market for music fans. The title is misleading, although it's mostly classic rock. It covers all kinds of stuff, like uh, the latest issue has a big article on Bebop Deluxe, for example. Um, they review, you know, all kinds of stuff. Anyways, the latest issue... They always have this series called The Stories Behind the Songs, and the latest issue has uh, Green River Swallow My Pride. Cool. Kind of because of the deluxe editions that came out. Check out this quote here in this article that I that I pulled out. This is from, I think they interviewed Stone Gossard, maybe? Here's the quote. He's talking about Rehab Doll. I remember a year before we... Before that record, we played a bunch of shows down the West Coast, and we had Black Flag bassist Chuck Dukowski come out to see us, he recalls. We honestly thought it would be amazing to be on SST because we loved a lot of the bands on that label, but we got rejected. Chuck went, nah, not really our thing. That was a huge bummer. We didn't even imagine a major label as a possibility. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Little did they know. Yeah. I find that odd that Green River wasn't like, well, I mean, maybe not in the mid 80s. Hey, maybe that wasn't SST's thing, but I could meet, I could totally see Green River on SST for sure. Yeah. That's weird though. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I have a recommend. I needed to follow up your book recommend with one of my own. It's called Circumstantial Evidence. And it's by uh -huh. the, and it's by this guy, Frank Sesich. And 
he's mostly known for playing in this power pop band called Blue Ash, but he grew up with Stiv Baders and ended up playing in like the Dead Boys for a while on some reunion shows and in the Stiv Baders band on all those Bomp records. Oh, yeah. And he was in a band called Club Wow with Jimmy Zero from the Dead Boys as well. And he, his current band is called the Deadbeat Poets. Anyways, it's called Circumstantial Evidence. You can get it, or I got mine through Get Hip online. I'm not sure if you still can. But uh, it's a really good book. It's pretty short, but it's got lots of cool anecdotes. He tells this crazy story in here about he's sitting in like Cleveland or whatever, wherever he's from one night in the early 80s and Stiv Bader... Baders calls him and he's like, dude, you got to come to LA. There's a plane ticket waiting for you. Go to the airport. This rich like Belgian dude who's like a huge punk rock fan is over here throwing all this money around. We've got a whole floor rented out at like the Hyatt house or whatever, you know, one of those rock and roll hotels and all the, all these punk rockers are here. He's bought a fleet of like 20 Winnebago's and all this gear and his plan, his plan is to drive from city to city, show up unannounced, flyer the day of the show, play, and they have this huge machine that can dub like a hundred, I don't know what they were, cassettes, I guess, instantly of the live show. And they were going to give them out to like people at the gig that showed up to these gig gigs. And uh, the Winneb Winnebago leaves... LA in a caravan and <laughs> disaster ensues. I'll just leave <laughs> it at that, but it's a good book. Ah, interesting. What was the name of the magazine again, too? I, I know you've, uh, you've brought it around a couple of times. I can't remember the name though. If it's, you just mentioned called, it. it's just called classic rock. Oh, okay. It's a British magazine, but it's got lots of the people that wrote for like NME back in the day. It's, I bought buy a lot of magazines and the writing in this one is, exceptional compared to most i would say like that they they get top-notch writers for it like people like yeah. people like nick kent and yeah it's really good what do you have ryan well you know i was thinking about last week's episode and you know how you mentioned that x is recording right right and we were both very quick to say well that's gonna rule no matter what it's gonna be awesome right yeah and i was just thinking before the show about that and thinking to myself, what other bands, if they got back together out of the blue and recorded a new material for the first time in like, you know, a decade or so, what band would do that? And you just know it would rule like X for sure. And then I was thinking probably Fugazi, probably Jesus Lizard, but what other bands come to your mind? I don't know. Sonic Youth could probably pull something out. That's pretty spectacular, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I was just thinking because there's been a fair amount of bands that have kind of gotten back together. I mean, I haven't listened to the new Flesh Eaters. Yeah. Like, I haven't heard that one yet. Um, or whether that's... But I'm just thinking about, you know, 100% when they get back it's going to be awesome. Like the hot snakes record that they, they came back with as an example, Sonic youth, probably. Yeah. Probably no means no too. Right. Oh yeah. That would be pretty amazing. I'm sure they would put out something that was just exceptional. I don't know on the hard rock front. I'm, 
kind of looking forward to this ACDC album that's supposedly in the works, you know? Yeah. But, well, I mean, Brian Johnson confirmed it, I thought. And, but like, isn't his voice just shot? I don't know. The last couple, the producer they were using seemed to do a better job. I mean, live, sure. Of course, nobody can sing like that. The way he does, the human voice isn't meant to do what he does with it. But I don't know. It's like they're using actual riffs from Malcolm, like recorded riffs, as far as I understand. At least that's the rumor. Shit that he recorded before he died. Yeah, ideas. Song ideas. I don't know. I think they're actually, it's actually Malcolm playing. Oh, really? I don't know. I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, I'll for sure pick up that record. I know I will. But will it be good? Look, I love ACDC, and I like the lot, like Rocker Bust and Black Ice are good. Uh, Stiff Upper Lip, I think, probably came out before that, which is one of my favorite ones with Brian Johnson. And I don't know. ACDC is one of those bands for me that, like, you know, I'll take, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll find what I, I find, <laughs> I'll find what I like about it, and kind of just ignore the rest. You know, Van, Van yeah. Halen too. There's hopefully doing something with Roth again, which I'll, I'll be all over it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It'd be great if the Taters did something again, but sounds like that ship has sailed. Yeah. Things don't sound very good for Handsome Dick these days for some reason. It's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I was, it was, I was just curious, uh, what bands came to your mind. I was, I was listening to, uh, a bit of Fugazi, but also Ian MacKay's, um, subsequent band, the Evens. And I really like them. Yeah. And I was like, dang, you know, that guy, almost anything he's on is good, you know? And so you know that if he came back, it would be good. That, so that just... While they have such high ethical standards, they would not put out anything that they didn't think was... Unless it was good, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I wasn't a huge fan of the Joe Lally sol- solo records, I guess. Yeah. Um, I had one other, just uh, one other quick spiel, also referring back to last week. You remember we were talking about mall punk brand? Right. So uh, that actually got me kind of reinterested in mall punk. I was going back to like when I was 13, 14, kind of getting into that stuff. Right. That's a long, it's a long time ago, but a new book came out kind of about it. Yeah, I saw that. It's like, uh, I think, oh, who's that big, that band that got huge? Well, it's the book is called, if this is the one you're thinking of, it's called Smash. Green Day, right, The Offspring, right. Bad Religion, No Effects. And the 90s punk explosion. Offspring, that's the band I was trying yeah. to think of. Yeah. And, and I mean, like Bad Religion, I was, I got into Offspring, like the first couple of records. Unlike Bad Religion, I totally got uninterested in the Offspring, like with their third album, and I never followed them again. But actually, there's a lot, uh, it looks like there's a lot of stuff in here, even about social distortion, which um, I'm still a big fan of. And, and, and they kind of rode that wave a bit. So I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to read this book. And then while I was at the store, I got a second one. Um, oh, you picked this one up already? Yeah, I bought this one. Yeah. And because uh, I'm going to finish my Frank the Shank book this week. So I need something else to read. Nice. And uh, and then I also picked up uh, another book about The Clash by Anthony Davey. This one is called This is Joe Public Speaking, though. And what it is, is... It's uh, stories 
or anecdotes by fans of the clash like it's like if mm. if you and i submitted a story about what a band meant to us and then they kind of compiled it in a book and so um right after i get my mall punk on and remind myself why I, why I never listen to that stuff anymore. I'm going to get my Clash on and remind myself why I'm never going to stop listening to The Clash. All right. Well, speaking of bands I'm never going to stop listening to, I bought the Richie Ramone book. I finally got around to picking that up this weekend. If it says if if it says Ramones, I'm I'm reading. I know. It. I even I even read Mickey Lay's book. I slept with Joey Ramone. Is is Richie the last one who's alive, or is CJ still around? CJ's around. He still puts out albums. Richie Richie puts out albums under his name, and they're really good too. So are CJ's. Are they the only two live members though? Uh, I think. Let's see. So because Tommy passed, didn't he? Tommy passed. Elvis Ramone, maybe. Who? Elvis Ramone. Who's that? Clem Burke. Is he still alive? I don't know. I've (laughs) never even heard of that. You're a much bigger fan of the Ramones than I am. I'm trying to think now. Well, Marky's still around, right? That's what I... Oh! So, Richie, CJ, and Marky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They should play a show. Two drummers? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I've seen a lot of bands that have had uh, two drummers, and it's been cool. True. All right. Any interest in getting uh, into SWA? I hear the doctor is in. Yeah, let's do this. History lesson, part one. All right, Brant. Like I said, SWA has not been my band so far. I think I'm going to surprise you a bit, maybe. But why don't you uh, tell me a bit about this record? Okay, well, I'm going to do a little history lesson. I got a few quotes here for you first. This is one's from Joe Carducci. It was in Rockin' the Pop Narcotic. He s- describes them as an organic and highly idiosyncratically developed hard rock approach. That's what he says about them. And... Uh, <laughs> Again, I'm sure we mentioned this last time, but there's an awesome article on the internet that everyone should should Google. Just put in, in defense of SWA, and it should come up. It was written quite a while ago by this guy, Darren Cifarelli. He says, the best elements of jazz, metal, rock, SST, are spliced together in SWA, disjointed and non-linear, creating a new paradigm and straining to escape the meta-narrative prison. Dismiss Dukowski if you want. However, he was at the top of his form in SWA as a songwriter, bass player, and performer. His solos and song structures still blow me away today. Nobody played like him. Like, this is definitely Chuck Dukowski's band. There is no question about that. Yeah, and this is this is the record where the, the switch was flipped for me, and, and Chuck is what did it for me. Okay. I'm never going to become, like, a SWA super fan, but I started to get it this time, and it's because... I could either hear Chuck's playing or I paid attention to it more this time. And the this record started to sink its hooks into me, kind of, you know? Yeah, for me, the songs are just better. I just like yeah. the songs better. But for me, it was it's like uh, Chuck was my gateway drug to this record, for sure. Yeah, he's definitely all, his stamp is all over it. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, and he is in top form. That's true. Yeah. There's definitely like a Chuck Dukowski sound, and I'm not talking about his bass playing. I'm talking about his writing style. And it's like Swa songs really take a lot of left turns, you know? Especially switching from verse to chorus, they do things that you do not expect them to do. Yeah, and sometimes it's never the same way twice, right? Yeah. 
So we last heard from Swa on SST 53, Your Future, if you have one. Little bit of a lineup change since that one. Ray Cooper um, was in the band. They had two guitarists on that album, Ray Cooper and Richard Ford. Ray left for The Descendants, so they just stayed as a four-piece with Rich on guitar. I'm sure we mentioned this last time, but just to recap, Rich was in a band called Frantic Technoids that I... The only place I've ever seen that is in Rock and the Pop Narcotic. I don't know anything about that band and could not find anything on them, but that's an awesome name. (laughs) Uh, Rich was Joe Carducci's understudy as production manager at the label. He was the first guitarist in SWA after Ted Falcone was fired. And Joe Carducci thinks he stayed on with SST until possibly the mid-90s. He also played in the Jack Brewer band, who released two awesome albums on New Alliance Records. And after this album, he left SWA to focus on working at the label. Here's a little thing I got from Chuck Dukowski. I asked him for his thoughts on this album. This is what he sent me. Sex Doctor was recorded right after returning from tour in 85. I got a beautiful custom bass for $350 at Guitar Center when I got back from that tour. To replace the Franken bass, I've been forced to assemble and play on that tour after my guitar was stolen. Regrettably, that bass was stolen right after the tracking sessions for Sex Doctor. It has Worm's first song, Sea and Sky, on it, which we'll get to when we go through the tracks. So thanks to Chuck for sending that in. That's cool. I want, he, did he give you any more details about the uh, what type of custom bass? No. Because I like the bass sound on this record. Like Again, I, I really... I don't know. I ended up really focusing on Chuck's playing this time. Yeah, he normally plays f- like Fenders, right? Usually a P bass, and uh, or yeah, usually a P bass. I would say at least early Chuck. He's got a very distinctive style. The way he holds his hand with the palm of his hand kind of high up, and I mean he's definitely like playing it very percussively yeah. on the strings. Yeah. It comes through on this record too in some places that are really killer. Yeah. Oh, he's definitely a lead bass player for sure. It's yeah. no surprise that him and Gin did like clashed musically. Yeah. There's only room for Greg. Yeah. I also got some stuff from Greg Cameron, who's the drummer on this. We've talked about Greg before. He was in the October Faction. Uh, he was, of course, on the first SWA album. He kind of started this album or this band with Chuck, I think, like jamming in the basement of SST, or whatever. Here's what I got from Greg. The album was titled after my SST nickname. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked about that before, the Nazi sex doctor. Yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) Yeah. It's a thankful truncation of the original nickname. Back sometime, I think in 1983, our singer Merrill was working at a bookstore in Hollywood, or West Hollywood, that sold sex novels. One day as a joke, he showed up to practice with some and left them sitting on a desk. At this time, we were practicing at Black Flag's practice pad on Artesia Boulevard in Redondo Beach. Upstairs from the practice room was Dukowski's global booking office where he'd book flag tours after he'd left Black Flag. Folks would hang hang out up there too. SST at that time was a couple of blocks away, about a five-minute walk from Global. Anyhow, one day I was hanging out at Global while Black Flag was practicing downstairs. I grabbed one of the books and started reading it, waiting for Flag to finish up so I could go jam on the drums when they were done. The book I had picked up was called The Nazi Sex Doctor. 
It was a terrible book, needless to say. The storyline was about a concentration camp commandant falling in love with a Jewish girl in the camp. As I was reading it, Rollins and Dave O'Flag's road manager and sound mixer walked in from a trip to 7-Eleven to get coffee. They saw me reading and said, Hey Greg, what you reading there? Ooh, the Nazi sex doctor. You are the Nazi sex doctor. <laughs> the name caught on like wildfire throughout the SST camp. I was not pleased. But at the time, there wasn't much I could do. I was neither a Nazi nor a sex doctor. The real irony that I was was that I was still a virgin at that time. It was funny, though, now that title spawned curiosity by some of the ladies I'd run into if they only knew the truth at the time. And another weird irony, irony is that the name was promoted by Jordan Schwartz, who worked for Dukowski doing the booking. And to this day, two of my close Jewish friends still call me Knots, short for Nazi. As time went on, and my obvious disdain for that nickname sunk in with people, the name evolved to Sex Doctor, The Doctor, and finally Knots. So that's what Chuck thought the album should be titled, Sex Doctor. I wrote the music for the title track. Merrill wrote the lyrics for it, which I thought were pretty cheesy. But I'm not really a songwriter, especially lyrics, so I had to go with it. Mm. Here, I'll give you a little thing about the studio sessions that he sent me too. As far as the studio session at Radio Tokyo, I think Merrill wrote most of the lyrics in the studio. He was a busy guy and didn't have a lot of time to focus outside of that environment. Sea and Sky was written by Ed Danke, who was in Worm with Chuck. He was also in The Mentors at one point. The song Oklahoma was written about our van breakdown on the way out to meet Flag on the Midwest and Canadian leg of the 85 tour. The van had been previously owned by the Misfits and had an insane amount of miles on it. Flag's crew told Chuck he should rent a van or get something else before that tour started because we all thought it was going to break down, but he thought we could fix it up. I helped him do, do some work on it, but on the way to Detroit to meet up with Flag, it broke down outside of Oklahoma City. The engine had to be rebuilt at a methy auto shop and the whole scene was pretty sketchy. The song explains it. We were a few days late meeting up with Flag as a result and finally met up with them in Cincinnati. I remember Henry being mad because they had to play with some crappy local openers instead, but especially because everyone had warned Chuck not to take that van. There you go. Thanks to Greg for sending that in and Chuck for uh, his little spiel too. We love getting that stuff. Sorry, did he say a methy mm-hmm. garage? That's what he said, yep. <laughs> okay. Very nice. Yep. I imagine uh, Black Flag spent and related bands spent lots of time around methy garages while on the road. Yeah. Oh, I know. I bet you they had to just take what they could get sometimes to get keeping on the road. I can't remember who said it where, but there was a story one time about, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast or not, about a black flag van breaking down and Gin just like going to like a tire shop that was closed and picking out the the best tire from the back that that was like slated <laughs> for, for the trash heap and putting that one on. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone was jamming Econo. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the tracks? Yeah. History lesson, part two. Okay, so we've got... This album is only 30 minutes, too, by the way. So we've got side X and side Z. Or Z. Or Z. Up here in Canada. Yep. 
side X starts with X1, catacombs. Do you have writers, Ryan, on the LP? I've got the Maybe. insert on I've got the insert on this album. This uh this one is credited to Chuck and Merrill. Okay. This one has that Dukowski sound that I was talking about for me, if there is such a thing. And I think there is. It's got a 70s proto-punk kind of metal sound. Um this one, Chuck, I think, told us during our interview with him on the which episode was that, Ryan? Program Annihilator. Right which this is on too, this song's on there, which is SST 66. He told us that this one and Sea and Sky were among the first Worm songs that they wrote. Yeah. Funny that they didn't end up on uh, the Worm album, Feast, because they're both really good songs. Yeah, and you know, like, I enjoyed this record. I don't think I'm going to become a SWA fan. I really like this record, though. I liked it as an album. And, I mean, when you, you're just reminding me about how these songs are... Like some of these tracks we've heard before on Program Annihilator, they didn't sink in with me yeah. in that context. You know, sometimes songs will do that on a compilation. Yeah. Um, but on this one, I had to listen to this record like as a unit for for it to kind of click for some reason. Yeah. Well, maybe it's the album factor, you know? Yeah. Uh, X2, Sea and Sky, written, I believe, by Ed Dankey with input from Chuck and Merrill. Yeah, it's credited to Danky and Ward on my insert. Okay, so Merrill must have maybe contributed after the fact, obviously, because Ed had already was was not around. Yeah, long like, gone. He was off with the mentors or whatever whatever he was doing. For me, this is a totally killer track. It's almost a power ballad. It's got a great solo from Richard Ford. Uh, amazing vocals from Merrill. You know what I, what I was thinking about listening to Merrill sing on this album, Ryan? Was I was thinking about punk singers, and I don't know if this is the case with Merrill, it may or may not be, but I was thinking about punk singers who became vocalists by default, you know, because they were they were friends with musicians and like they were the guy that couldn't play an instrument, so they were they became the singer. Yeah. Or else maybe some in some cases it's because they looked cool or were like super <laughs> super outgoing, you know? Yeah. And how many of those people ended up being amazing vocalists just by chance? Yeah. I, again, I could be wrong about, you know, maybe these people knew they could sing. Maybe they sang in like school choir or something like that. But people like Jack, Jack Grissom, like if you ever listen to him, he is a really, really good singer. Or like hmm. Keith Morris, obviously, or Joey Ramone just became the singer in the Ramones by default. He was the drummer to start, wasn't he? Yep. So I don't know. Maybe Merrill knew he could sing. Maybe he was just a good front man or whatever. So he became the singer. Well, I guess they already knew he could sing because he sang on the Overkill album. But to me, he's a he's a really kick-ass singer. And this song is the A-side of the promo single that they put out for this album. Uh, the third track, Sex Doctor, that is also on Program Annihilator. Written by Greg Cameron and Merrill Ward. This one is given credit just to M Ward on my insert. Oh, okay. I'm gonna take a I'm gonna take a look at the LP and see if it's different credits there. Hang on. Sometimes that happens, right? So on the LP itself, it's credited to Ward and Cameron. Okay. So I don't know I don't know which is the actual one, but let's go with the one that has the most names. Yeah. So this is the B side of that single, and this. 
as Greg, uh, Greg Cameron mentioned in the in what he sent over, that he thinks the lyrics are a little cheesy, which I would have to agree with. Oh, <laughs> I, for sure I, they are. I pulled a few out. <laughs> yeah. I was going to quote one, but you go for it. I prescribe a dose of love and tenderness. <laughs> Underneath my blade is where love and dreams are made. You know my you know my hand is warm underneath this rubber glove. Baby, what I got for you is more than love. Oh man, no, you didn't you actually you didn't finish the the best part of that one other lyric. It's and you know my hand is warm underneath this rubber glove anticipating an operation of love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh track 4, the only one. Uh this this is where Richard Ford's Greg Ginn influence shines, I would say. He's definitely, I would say, there's some very Ginn-esque lead breaks on this track. And all of them, for that matter. Yeah, I find his guitar playing, like his solos, a little bit more straightforward. A little bit more standard scales, a little bit more bluesy than Ginn. Yeah, they're still they're still pretty noisy and discordant at times, too, though. Oh, for sure. I agree. I agree. There's, But there's there's a little bit more of a... Like they resolve into something a little bit more familiar compared to Gin. Yeah. Okay. The next track is Oklahoma. As uh, Greg said, it's about a fateful van breakdown in Oklahoma. So I, I was thinking though, Ryan, this is in reference to that spiel about Green River. Obviously, you know, a lot of the Seattle bands were influenced by SST package tours that came through Seattle. You hear hear about it a lot, in particular the My War tour. Of course. So I. Guarantee Swa played there many times. And on this track, I believe Merrill is trying to like affect a Southern accent. <laughs> and I'm wondering if he inadvertently invented the Yarl on this song. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. If anybody, if anybody doesn't know what the Yarl is, I believe that was a term coined by the Mudhoney dudes or probably in particular Mark Arm. But I I first heard him use it on that I'm pretty sure on that documentary se- series that Dave Grohl one uh, is that where I, I saw it or was no it, no it's, or was... it's the Sam Dunn documentary oh right right yeah Metal Evolution he's on that yeah. with um the uh and then I can't remember the um the uh her name from the Fastbacks she's also on it too and basically they're talking about it how it was it was like truly the way that like Lane Staley and Eddie Vedder sang. It wasn't an, an affectation, but then post grunge bands really <laughs> co-opted it and just like overdid it. And it just makes you want to barf when you hear it. Creed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just terrible. Well, listen to this track again with that in mind, man. <laughs> oh, I, I, I think, <laughs> I, I think it might've started here. The Genesis of the Jarl. Wow. Just a theory I'm working on. If any of our listeners can confirm out there that this is where Eddie Vedder got the Yarl from, just let us know. <laughs> you know what? I actually, I actually think that um, I think people probably attribute the Yarl more so to Lane Staley. Oh yeah, I think. But I mean, again, that's I'm not that, sure that uh, Mad Season album. That's that a, one. That's a well. I don't. That's a great record. That Mad Season. Wake up! It's time to wake up. That one. Yeah, that's a great record, man. <laughs> I I really, I really like it too. But you know what? You know what? 
I could see because I mean Allison Chains started out pretty metal, and I could yeah. I could see those guys being real into swa. Yeah, you think Jerry Cantrell swa? I'm not I'm not calling anyone swa. I'm saying that they may have been into swa. Okay, but I think Jerry, I, don't, I, th- I don't I don't think Mike Inez is swa. <laughs> is that Mike Inez or Mike Inez? Whatever he is, I don't think he's swa. No, why? No. I don't know. I just don't. You're just jealous of his thick, lustrous hair. <laughs> All right. Next, next track is called Onslaught. Some of those Simon Smallwood style theatrics is what I wrote in the vocals. Yeah. And here again on the liner notes, it's uh, attributed to Ward, but on the record, Ward and Dukowski. Okay. Flip it over to side Z. And we've got three longer songs kind of maybe my war style yeah these are epics yep big ride that one is like the most straight ahead rocker on the album it's got a really awesome finger pick chuck dukowski intro and uh, the the i think it's about surfing and the the vocals are just awesome on this one there's a part like right before the solo where meryl goes and that's just where i'll stay Yow! Wipe out! <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's about surfing when you read it. It's talking about the tide, planetary yeah. motion, all that kind of stuff. Cool blue ocean, the waves. Speaking of Simon Smallwood, singer from Worm, by the way, on the Feast album anyways, he gets a songwriting credit on the next track, Round and Round. Yes, he does. Maybe this was a Worm leftover? I don't know. It's a lot, a lot of lyrics on this record. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a theory about that too. Like, so this one for me could have worked as a flag instro. And it's one of those songs where like, I'm not sure what their songwriting process was. Like if they wrote as a group or if Chuck was, you know, maybe laying these down on a four track or whatever and giving them to, to Merrill to write on. Sounds like, According to Greg Cameron, Mer- Merrill maybe wrote in the studio. But I mean, if Chuck was presenting these tracks somehow to Merrill to write lyrics to, then I applaud Merrill Ward. Like, I'm not sure what else you could do with some of these songs. Like, <laughs> they are not traditional song structures in any sense, some of them. Yeah, you definitely would have to be pretty uh, nimble. Got to be very nimble. Yes, you do have to be nimble. Speaking of uh, nimble, Greg's drumming on this rules, and he's talked before about his the the huge influence Bill Stevenson had on his drumming. He was really looked up to him, and you can hear B- Bill Stevenson in his drum style on this song in particular for me, especially on the snare. And the third and final track is the longest on the album. It's almost six minutes, and it's called "The Evil and the Good." Mm-hmm. Possibly a Christian rock song. It really reminds me of this black two Black Sabbath songs on the Master of Reality album, Lord of This World or After Forever is another one. Like the lyrics on the Sabbath song are like, could it be you're afraid of what your friends might say if they knew you believed in God above? This one has a lot of similar kinds of lyrics. Every night I get down on my knees and I pray to the Lord above to shelter me from all this hate and pain and shower me in his heavenly love. It's a cool track though. Like it really ratchets up the tension as it goes along and kind of explodes at the end 
It's def definitely an definitely an epic. I'm surprised they didn't break it down into movements. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would have been cool. <laughs> yeah, that's the album. We should talk about the artwork. Yeah, and it's uh, it's pretty crazy artwork. Yeah, the the front cover, if I'm not mistaken, um, it it would be a guess a silhouette of Doctor Sex with his um, bloody hand punching through a sheet with her you think it's a girl dr sex oh oh yeah look on the back look at the erect nipple on the back man oh yeah okay dr sex is a woman there you go good one yeah and uh okay so she she is punching her hand through the silhouetted sheet bloody with maraschino cherries and it looks like she's holding up <laughs> she's holding up a syringe with a maraschino yep. cherry impaled on the top What's in her hand, though? Is that like a heart or something? What do you mean? What? No, it's like maraschino cherries with blood all over them. Is that what it is? Yeah. And that's the cherry. Okay. And, and again, like there's a cherry right on the tip of that syringe in her silhouette. And she's got like a mask and one of those uh, mm. old doctor mirrors on her forehead. Right. Well, if you flip it over, there's some amazing photos of the band on the back. First of all, it's like the... The photos are in the four corners of the LP, so it's made to look like a, I don't know, an ambulance sign or whatever you call those in the middle, I think, like a big... Like a Red Cross, man. Yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant. Why, why wasn't this record on the Seven Inch Wonders of the World? <laughs> <laughs> so that, I'm assuming, is Meryl with the scalpel. Oh yeah, it's got to be. Chuck has just this amazing grin on his face and he's holding a brain in his hand. Yeah, with like uh, a pen, like he's pointing out uh, something that's going on inside. Like, look at this, uh, the cerebellum here or whatever, right? Yep. Chuck's also got a whole mess of rings on his left hand there. Yeah. And then uh, I'm assuming that's Rich Ford scribbling on the chart. And then the young guy is Greg Cameron, and he's taking his own pulse. Blood pressure. Yep. Right. And she's holding one of those old school things that you look in, in somebody's ear with. I'm pretty sure those have probably come a long way since then. Is that what that I think, is? It looks to me like one of those ones where they would bang your knee and your knee would Oh, flex maybe up, that's right? what it is. It's one of those reflex hammers. Because I know they used to just basically stick a cone in your ear and look into it. Yeah, with a light. <laughs> oh, I think like in the top left, she's holding like a tongue depressor. In the top yep. right, I can't tell what it is. Um, maybe it's a slide or something. I don't know. Bottom right, it looks a lot like, again, the reflex hammer thing. And in the bottom left, it's a stethoscope, I think. Yeah. Amazing photos of the band, though. Oh, yeah. I think uh, Greg Cameron, though, takes the cake for the haircut. Oh, yeah. That is like, that is the ultra feather brush cut. I love it. <laughs> and he's got, it just looks like drummer arms. What about inserts, Ryan? The only insert I have is just the lyric sheet. And it is, it's plain Jane, double-sided, uh, just the lyrics, that's it. And and no dead wax, I don't think. Let me see here. I did Who recorded not... it, Ryan? Pardon me? Who recorded it? Let me just see here. No dead wax. 
So this was recorded at Radio Tokyo by Ethan James, man. Right. Yet again, this record sounds good. Yeah. It sounds good. I mean, it. there are parts in it where it's verging on like a little bit too much 80s sounding um, on the vocals for me. But it's it doesn't have too much goop on it. Still sounds good. Um, it says it's produced by Dukowski and Swa. Thanks, Ethan. The screams on Round and Round are by Chuck Dukowski and Isabella Stinson. Backing right. vocals on Oklahoma by Swa. And photography by, I'm going to mispronounce this, Moshi Braca. And then um, there's a, just a little phrase here, which I assume is a Dukowskiism, and it says, Truth is, the rest is another man's guess. What about a ballot result, Ryan? Ballot result. It's all up to you, my friend. Really? Oh, of course. I thought, well, you're a SWA convert, though. I like this record. We're both SWA. You right. you are a bigger SWA fan than me, so you should, you should pick. Okay, well, I really like The Evil and the Good. That's a real epic song. I like Big Ride because it's such a ripping track and Meryl's vocals are amazing on it, but I got to go with Sea and Sky. With some old school danky. Yeah, Ryan, what's next week? Next week, I'm super pumped for because um, I really liked getting into this band's first record on SST and uh, it's Angst, SST 74, the record Mending Wall. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.